Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you. We're in the gospel according to Mark this morning, chapter 14. We will take verses 66 to 72. That is the end of the chapter. Mark's gospel, chapter 14. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, please. Beginning in verse 66. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Please be seated. This chapter, or this passage, this paragraph, I could, a pastor could speak on this paragraph three times in a row and not repeat himself once. You can go in so many direct, just so many lessons here. Um, I don't plan to address too much the rooster crowing part. This is a very uh, profound part, but my attention will be elsewhere, uh, not to take away from how meaningful it is, but there's just so many other areas. Where do you go in 45, 50 minutes? Um, What do you concentrate on? Well, you concentrate on what the Lord is leading you to say. And this morning's message is entitled, Peter's Collapse. And the failure of a beloved servant. Jesus loved Peter, no, no doubt about that. And yet we're watching, we're going to watch him unravel. Well, we just did. We're standing up and reading this. But we must let must not let our feelings judge Peter. We have to go by the facts and stick to the record concerning him. And I say this because of all the commentaries that I have read over the years on this, this passage, which is found in all four Gospels, incidentally, most of the commentators, they're, they're pretty hard on Peter, calling him a coward and just slamming him. And, and I, I don't agree with all of that. Um, but one of the outstanding things that you can't get away from is that he did, did deny the Lord. And he did it at a time when the Lord is being shuffled from court to court and then crucified. Those are facts. But was Peter's denial because he was a coward? Well, that means something to me. I want to know the answer to these things because my turn may come. When I am facing arrest and persecution or death for my Lord. And uh, so these things are critical to us. Yes, Peter was busy denying the Lord, but not so much looking to save his own skin as many cast him. He was cornered, he was called out, and he collapsed. And so hopefully we'll be under, we're looking to understand why he collapsed 
so that we would not, given a similar situation, put under such pressures. He purposed good in his heart. That's why he's still following the Lord. But suddenly and completely, he was overcome with temptation. Temptation to do what? Save his own skin? Again, I'm not so sure that's it. So, we're going to look at this man who moments ago did not fear death, but now does not want to be associated with Christ and the consequences that may come with that. I still think it's a little deeper. Let's look at verse 66. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Now, Matthew adds this interesting note to this moment. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. That's the part that Matthew adds that Mark does not include. Peter wants to see where this is going. He's got hope. He's still hoping some way God is going to uh, get out of this. And so uh, this speaks well of Peter. It puts him in a class almost entirely by himself. Well, John, the apostle, he's there too, not in the courtyard, but he's there in the, in the quarters of the high priest. We get that from John's gospel. Uh, but Peter, uh, there's so many others that are not following Jesus into this courtyard. And so he puts himself in enemy territory, which makes me, again, reluctant to cast him as this coward. Horatio Nelson, one of, if not England's greatest admiral, said no captain can do very wrong if he places his ship alongside that of the enemy. He's looking to engage the enemy, to fulfill his purpose. Well, Peter is looking to be close to his Lord. And for that, we, we have to understand that that is a high thing, not a low thing. He couldn't walk away. He's not that kind of man. There was no way he could be hiding somewhere knowing his Lord was there being uh, under arrest and as he's struggling. Judas, in contrast to Peter, distanced himself and he died distanced from Christ. Now, yes, the other apostles had scattered and where they were we know not. But they did not turn on Christ and betray him. I pointed out for Peter because he's going to deny him. Having disagreed with Christ, and the Lord warned him, and yet here he is, he doesn't yet see it. He's too close to it all. Have you ever been in such a situation where you're just too close to it? Others can see better what's going on, and you cannot. Not a happy place. But love compels this man, as love compels us to stand up to those things that are in opposition to our testimony. I am mindful of Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He thought that his strength could somehow gain something for him. And it did not. His strength was not enough. And so we find Jacob calling out, I won't let you go until you bless me. There's a sob in that, is there not? Is there not a sob in the story of Peter? Are there not sobs in my own life, silent and loud, both? Things about me that I dislike and I don't understand. Things about me that I don't seem able to defeat. And yet, 
there's that assurance, Christ ain't going anywhere. He's staying with me. He loves me. He died for me. Christ is not finished forgiving people. He's going to be forgiving them right up to the cross, right up to this moment. And so let's, we don't need to be judgmental. We need to be spiritual. Pay attention to the Spirit's leading and apply the lessons. And at the same time, not dismiss that which is wrong. And we're not good dismissing Peter. Let's look now at verse 67. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Well, many people, were men were named Jesus. And so she specifies Jesus of Nazareth. He had become known as the Nazarene by this time. But she's one of the many irritating Bible characters to me. I mean, quite a few of them. I just don't like her. Now, she might have been, you know, she might have made some really wonderful, you know, I don't know, cheesecake or something. But I just don't like what I know about her, and, and you'll see why. And I'm not being too harsh, hard on that, but still, I don't like her. <laughs> so here's Peter now, warming himself by the fire of the enemy. And, and a lesson we can't get away from when we look at this is Jesus can make fires for us if we're cold. We do not have to be where the enemy is, but... What if that's where I find myself? Passionate, devoted Peter. Fearful without even knowing why. He's bewildered. We know that. He's upset. The winds of turmoil have, turmoil have blown upon him, and here he is. Emotionally, he is hobbled by the crash from the glory of the upper room to the arrest in the garden. Again, how do you put yourself in Peter's sandals having not walked personally with Jesus for three and a half years? Very difficult, if not impossible. Mark chapter 14. There's where we read of Peter's boast. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Hmm. John might stumble, even though he loves you. Thomas might stumble. Andrew, my own brother, he may stumble, not Peter. And this, of course, is what he is going to pay for now. He is going to pay for that vain speech that he made. And Christ is going to let it happen. And not only is Christ going to rebuild this man, but he's going to use all of this to this present day. What about that pledge, Peter? Well, he's unstable in his head now. He's not, that, he's not that same man. Things have happened. He's been confronted with things that he didn't plan for. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus warns us all. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Okay, that's a sound teaching of the Bible. It is a principle of Scripture. But then he adds something very important. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Was that not Peter? These might forsake you. Instead of just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to forsake you. He adds, Peter, these might, not me. That went beyond his yes. And it was of the evil one. Christ even warned him. We'll get back to this later. You're going to get sifted. 
Satan's going to put you in a sieve and he's going to shake you and he's going to find out what falls out and what stays on top. And then the Lord said, in a very cryptic way, you're going to fail, but I'm going to rebuild you. Because he says, once you, uh, you know, but I have prayed for you. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself and we'll get to that in a moment. Verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and the rooster crowed. Uh, He did not want the servant girl to tell the high priest that he was there. That had to be his first thought. So he lied and played ignorant. Lying was especially wrong here and even to him and to us. But he hasn't had much time to think things through since the upper room and the arrest. And just think, Calvary is just hours away. It hasn't even been 16, 15 hours yet since the upper room. Things have been going at a rapid pace. He's not had a chance to collect himself. You say, you sound like you're defending Peter. I am. Because I see me in this. I see everybody in this. I see the flesh, the humans, the people that want to do the right thing for Jesus And mess it up. And that would be all of us at some point. Maybe not to this degree, but it's still a failure of some sort that we eventually have to taste. And so, he had tried giving his life for his Lord already. Just hours ago, if that long. But was corrected, leaving him at a loss. Matthew 26, verse 52, But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He's getting a battlefield lesson. I mean, you would think that now's not the time for a sermon or a speech or a class. But Jesus takes it. He said, I'm making this a teachable moment. And it hobbled this man in his head. It's a fact we can't dismiss. Peter is unraveling. He thinks he's going to be the coward. That's what he is going to think too. He's going to cast himself in that light. But what could he do in this bewildered state when confronted? You were one of them. What could he do? Well, he could tell the truth. Why doesn't he tell the truth? Again, not a chicken as we would say. It's more complex than that. I have learned in my own life and in the life of other Christians that there are problems that come into our life that are complex. They're not simple. There's not a simple, well, here, take two Bible verses and call me in the morning. There's more to it. Sometimes it's a very lengthy process of restoration and recovery from whatever traumatic experience we're faced with in our faith. Well, he tried to move away from this group, so he goes out to the porch, we're told here in verse 68. And, oh, that rooster, but he doesn't register yet. It registers later with him, but not at the moment. It was a common sound. Why should it stand out? Well, because of the word of Christ. Now, verse 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. You see why I don't like her? Why, why is this so important? What is, is she looking for the, you know, parking spot of the month for, you know, the servant of the month or something? Why is it, why? Does she want points with her coworkers? See, I told you I was right. I know what I'm talking about. I don't know. But Peter is thinking she just won't let this go. 
What is the big deal? All right, what if he said, I am one of the servants? Would there have been a parade for her? Anyway, look, I, I don't, there's a lot of people I don't like. What's one more? <laughs> it's too easy to dislike people. And that's right, why Christ calls us out on that. And he, you know it and I know it. If you are a Christian and you have ill feelings for somebody, you know the Lord is just, you know, not going, oh, it's okay. He may be giving you space to fix it, but he is not saying it's okay. Verse 70. Although one time I heard the Lord tell me, yeah, I don't like him either. No, no, that, that, that never happened. You know I kid. Verse 70, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by and said to Peter, surely you're one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Again, what is with you people? I just want to be warm. Why can't you just leave me alone? He's cornered. And he doesn't know what to say, really, except he's in denial mode. And he's in the flesh. Well, here is the swordsman of Gethsemane that's now the liar of the courtyard. Just like that. So this is where I start to learn something. The self-sufficiency that Peter was operating on, it was his self-sufficiency. It became a hiding place for his flesh. And now he is, uh, you know, reaping what he sows. He's, he's at the cupboard. He's, he's drawing from the flesh because he's self-sufficient. He announced it. These might forsake you. I am not. And Christ said, well, that's not going to work. And then he argued with Christ. And so he is, we'll see him a different man after Pentecost, though he will still struggle from time to time. If we ever feel that we are able to serve Christ in our own strength, then our own strength will be all we have. And if you want to try to enter ministry that way, you're going to fail, and you're probably going to be a problem to others too. Ministry, what is ministry? Well, it's serving the Lord. Actually, you know, for me, the definition of ministry is Jesus Christ. That is the definition of ministry. What if, what if you were on your church and, 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 and one of the ministry heads or a pastor called and said, hey, can you stop off at the store and get something for the, the church? Would you get in the flesh? Oh, man, I'm already behind. You know, or, you know, or would you see it as I'm serving Christ? When, you, when folks walk into the church and they find the bathrooms clean, the floors swept and the vacuumed on the carpet, the tissue boxes replaced, the hand sanitizer refilled, somebody's doing that. Oh, no, we're just praying and it's more the angels are coming in when no one's here. I mean, again, who is it that empties the vacuum cleaners? They get full. So ministry, it is serving Jesus Christ because it is Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ. And when we look at it that way, we say, okay, now I'm in a spiritual zone where there is spiritual warfare, and I better not conduct business in my flesh with self-sufficiency, or I'm going to be taken out. And this is a hard lesson about that very thing. It's the difference between Peter after Pentecost and Peter now. Yes, he's a believer, but he's still in his own strength. And God was allowing Peter, as he did with Jacob, 
to exhaust their natural strength to see where it got them. It didn't get Jacob anywhere, and it got Peter in trouble. I don't want to enter the pulpit in my own strength. I don't want to say, well, uh, you know, one of my teachers uh, taught me that you, you read yourself full and you enter your, the pulpit that way. Okay, but that's not enough. I don't want to come here with just research. I want to come with the, the anointing of the Spirit. And without that, I, I don't want to go. Of course, we all are mindful of Moses. Lord, if you don't go with us, don't say, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. And God honored that with Moses. And so, to put ourselves again in Peter's sandals, we have to do a lot of work to identify with what's going on because having seen Christ do so many miracles, he probably was expecting one right now. Verse 71 Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Can't even say his name at this point. He cannot say, I do not know Jesus Christ. I do not know Jesus of Nazareth. He cannot say that. Well, he wouldn't have said Jesus Christ because the whole Messiah thing was still to be in progress. But he could have said, I did not know Jesus of Nazareth. And yet we read he began to curse and swear. He's willing to take a curse upon himself rather than be associated with Christ. How do you make Peter look good after something like this? We're not trying to make him look good. We're trying to stick to the facts. This is not vulgar or profane speech as we might consider it today. The Jews really didn't have curse words like we have them. They could say things that were worse, blasphemous. They had blasphemy. This is not the language of a rabbi's pupil. And that's why he's doing this. That's why he's saying these things. So they would say, well, Jesus is a rabbi. They all agreed to that. Whether they liked or agreed with him is a different story. But they knew he was a rabbi. And no rabbi's pupil would talk like Peter was talking right here. I don't think Peter ever spoke like this ever before in his life. What was he saying? How do we know what he was saying? Well, the word for curse there is anathemize. He's invoking curses on himself if he is lying. May God strike me dead if I know Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's how it translates into our language. And again, no rabbi student would dare make a statement unless he was telling the truth. But he's lying. It's an awful moment for Peter. He's at his worst. Lesson, spiritual war and natural strength hinders God, inflicts me, and those around me. He says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Again, too much to say the name. Now again, we contrast at this moment, Christ is on the inside. Courageously telling slick Caiaphas the truth. Announcing exactly who he is. I am the Messiah. Saying who he is and what he is doing and what he is at the cost of his own life. And Peter is outside saying, I don't know him. 
What a mess. What a mess the flesh has gotten him into. Standing up to Christ, disputing with the Lord, disagreeing with him, doubling down after he's spoken to you. Once Christ spoke to Peter, that was the word of God to Peter. And he did not accept it. And here he is. Again, Peter would not know how to fight spiritual wars until the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. He's, even before Pentecost, when, after he survives this and after the Lord restores him, he still is making blunders. And Peter stands up, well, we need to, you know, cast lots to find out who's going to replace the office of Judas. And really was not in the Spirit. Well, we'll get to that in the book of Acts when we get to the book of Acts. Had he witnessed at that moment his why he's not a coward. Had he, you don't have to be a coward to fail Jesus. As part of you, can just the flesh can do it without cowardice. If anyone, if Christ had walked out and someone had smacked the Lord in the face in front of Peter, do you think he would have gone beast mode? I, I don't have any doubt. It would have been a, an over my dead body moment. Unfortunately for Peter. This should have been an over-my-dead-body moment, too. A refusal to deny the Lord. It was his opportunity, and he doesn't take it. He would not have just sat there and watched his enemies abuse the Lord. But the flesh is making a fool of him. And the result of fighting spiritual war in the natural, in the natural is a natural disaster. The lesson that we are getting, the emphasis Christ is making. Uh, How many of you this week have failed to fight spiritually uh, some natural event? How many of you say, well, I fight spiritually, I pray, and I still get defeated? Yes, but you're fighting spiritually. You will not deny the Lord in that that strength, in that fight. Uh, Peter is... He is collapsing under the weight of pride and profound confusion. Again, a confusion that is difficult for us to relate to, having not walked with Jesus personally for three and a half years, then see him arrested and carted away. How, how would I get my head around that? Later, Peter would write, in the Spirit... Be clothed with humility, 1 Peter 5. He's writing to Christians who are persecuted, as he is feeling right now. He says, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, he's quoting scripture, but he's also lived that scripture out. It's not just a Bible quote. He's saying, I once was not humble, and I paid for it. And yet here I am, and I am here to teach and to suffer, not just to teach. Uh, I believe that pastors should teach the word because I believe the Bible teaches that. I believe the pastors are supposed to be in harm's way because the Bible teaches that. I believe savage wolves will come into the flock, not sparing it if there is no shepherd in the spirit. And I believe that, they, that if in, in doing that, the pastor is going to take bites and scratches. 
He's going to get them in the back and on the leg and wherever else the wolves can get him. And I also believe that Christians should have the same kind of courage and same kind of zeal for the interest of the Lord with love, but also with this understanding that this is what it calls for to defeat the work of Satan. In verse 72, a second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Behold, the rooster crow, before the rooster crows twice, you will be, pardon me, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now, I've got to go back and read that whole verse again to you. Um, What happened is mentally, I looked and I said, I'm only 28 minutes into this. Usually by 28 minutes, I'm at 45 minutes. (laughs) Verse 72, I want to reread it now. A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Well, on just a day-to-day thing for me, if I fall behind in my devotions, you know, I I have a place in my mind how much I want to get read in my personal devotions, not my study time, not my sermon time, but in my just personal time. And sometimes I, I lag behind because it's the Lord's fault, of course. Uh, but anyway, uh, then I'll catch up after a sermon and say, that was the verse I was looking for. Well, that's what I wanted to say. Well, that's what I should have quoted. And there's a little frustration there. And it's just a recall of the scripture. And for Peter, on a certainly more intense level, uh, that's what hap- what's happening here. He's now recalling the rooster moment. Why didn't he remember when he got to the courtyard that this was how it was going to be? And maybe he could have, uh, well, he couldn't have because once the Lord said it was going to happen, it was going to happen. But we, the lessons we draw from that is, well, if it were me and I, if it wasn't carved in stone, then I would avoid it by staying uh, close to what God had spoken. Back to Peter here in verse 72. He is brave enough to hear the rooster crow. Because if he was hiding under a rock somewhere, he wouldn't have been there to hear the rooster crow. And so it's important to me, because I, I wrestled with this all weekend long, is this the kind of, you know, this dynamic between him being a coward and being afraid, and they're not the same thing. Um, how, you know, what do I learn from this? Because I come across times in my life when I'm afraid for Christ. I don't want to say something that uh, maybe somebody, is, maybe it will get the wrong result. Maybe someone will cast me in a light that I don't care to be cast in or something like that. I can say when I was in the world, I don't re- recall ever um, being ashamed of Christ. I don't recall ever not wanting to tell people about him or denying that I was a Christian, and nor have I as a pastor. But I, um, I do understand this, that you can experience something that is so perplexing, you, you become afraid. And I'll give you a personal example, since I've got so much time left. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
so as you know, some of you know, my background was in steel construction, heavy steel. And I was working on a particular job in Long Island, New York. It was a, a place where they, they were building a plant to burn trash. So the trucks would dump trash in this enormous pit, and these overhead cranes would pick up the trash and dump it into the furnace, and it would burn it all up. And then they would recover the ash and recycle it into ash. Uh, <laughs> get yourself a gallon of ash. Anyway, um, so this, why, why I'm saying that is because, you know, a simple high-rise or a bridge, they, they're kind of straightforward. But these plants, they're weird because they house all this goofy equipment, overhead cranes and this all stuff. And it's just hard to work on these things if you're climbing around steel like a monkey. So um, I still got some of that. Anyway, uh, the per it, it had snowed a few days before. And that meant we can't, couldn't work. And but so when it snows, you you stay home, and then the temperatures rise above freezing, and the snow melts a little bit, and then it freezes again at night. Now you've got ice on the steel, and you go to work the next morning, which we did. And said, "Listen, it's icy up there. What do you guys want to do?" And we said, "Well, it doesn't look too bad. Well, we'll we'll go to work." And so we went to work. Well, while I'm one, we're 65 feet in the air. My partner and I. And the, we work, the crane is giving us the pieces of steel, and we're putting them in place. And I could see him out the corner of my eye giving a signal to the crane, which he really wasn't supposed to do. But I didn't rub it in his face because he almost got killed. But I would like to rub it in his face and say, I was right, you were wrong. I don't mind sharing you how my flesh thinks because I know yours does the same thing. But anyway... Then I, I look over to the crane operator, and then out the corner of my eye, I see him falling and tumbling like a rag doll. And uh, uh, he hits the ground. He does survive this. He loses his spleen because he was careless. It's a joke. You lose, how did you lose your spleen? I was careless. I couldn't remember where I put it. Anyway, so, yeah, I know some of you, so, what time you got here? You're not awake yet. <laughs> So anyway, Mark was this. Mark falls, hits the ground. I'm praying for him all the way down. But I'm still stuck up on the steel. I'm, and there's nothing under me but him, the ground, 65 feet. I'm saying to myself, how did this happen? What did he do? How could he? What? I mean, he, he felt there was a narrow crevice, too, uh, pieces of steel. And I just, so I, what I'm telling you is I was confused. Did he step on a beam and a piece of ice caused him to slip? What happened in that few seconds that I lost eye contact with him? So it took me forever to get down because there was this fear of, I don't want whatever happened to him to happen to me. I started to slide down the column, which was typical. Uh, but I'm thinking, if that thing's got ice on it, it's going to happen to me too. So my point is, I, I don't know. I'm back 20 years now working on buildings. <laughs> um, I got it. My point is fear. When you don't know what's going on, it, it, it can make you afraid. It doesn't make you a coward, but it does unravel you. It does take the nerve out. It makes you try to think the way, in just goofy ways. So when I got to the bottom, one of the guys said, what took you so long? I was like, oh, man, it's the servant girl. You were one of them. I mean, what do you mean what took me so Because he knew I should have just slid down the column, the 65-foot worth of columns. But 
um, again, I'm thinking, man, those things are iced up. I'm not going that way. I should have gone that way. I've thought about it often. So when I come to this section of Scripture, I can identify with Peter being, he doesn't know what to do. He's been unraveled. And this uh, was a true disciple who failed at a critical moment, which makes it so important for me. Again, no pass. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So what do we do with something like this? Well, clearly, that's not the unpardonable sin. Uh, it's mixed into it. To, to go to your death denying Christ is unpardonable. Uh, that is the rejection of the Holy Spirit, whose work is to testify of Christ and the salvation that he brings and who he is. This was a dismal failure for Peter. And had he died in this state, it would have been a giant question mark over his head. And Christ wants us to know these things. A dismal failure with an amazing recovery. It was not unpardonable because he repented. And his tears were the beginning of that repentance. He, he, this was made right. This failure was not so far outside of our failures. Maybe you've been somewhere and you just, you know, you knew you were supposed to speak up on for Christ and you did not. Were you denying the Lord? Yeah, then it gets a little sticky, does it not? Well, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him. There's the complete collapse at, at that moment. It says, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The, third, uh, the, the second crow of the rooster alone was not enough to dismantle him. That was not enough. There was something else that went with the fulfilled word of Christ. What was that? It was the face of Christ. Luke tells us that. Luke chapter 22, verse 60. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. There'd be no point in putting that in there, that Jesus looked at Peter, unless Peter looked at Jesus at the same time. There had to have been that eye-to-eye -eye contact. Simon was not looking away. It may have been too painful for Peter to even repeat. Mark chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. And all of this is crashing down on him. His bold speech and failure to carry it out. His overestimation of himself to fight in the spirit. The look of Christ. What about that? What was that? Well, I don't think at all it was an I told you, Peter. We know our Lord does not, did not, a, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He's not petty. It's not, how could you? How could you fail me? Well, he knew. Christ knew he was going to fail him. And he knew how he could. And he knew that uh, all about it. 
And it certainly was not, Peter, you coward. One pastor of old says, the look may have been more like this. Why are you wounding yourself, Peter? That's closer to the character of Christ that I know. You know, woman, where are your accusers? You know, when they came, we caught her. We caught her in the act. They were bloodthirsty. And Christ sort of writing in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. I get the, my thinking is he was just ignoring them. Because he knew they were full of baloney. And that's being polite. Uh, I, I, you know, we read that and the Lord says after he exposes them for their hypocrisy and injustice, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, they're gone. I have none. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. So why would I think that Christ is, that look that he has is anything but love and promise? Peter probably would have been carnally better off had Christ been angry with him. But it was that look of love. And so we read, and when he thought about it, we cannot dismiss the significance of that. It is large. How many Christians... How many times we don't think about things. Uh, You know, I I don't want to be so into Scripture that I have no joy in the song. And I don't want to be such a songbird Christian that that's all I've got. If the music's not right, I don't want to be that Christian either. I want the balance, the blend. And I'll live without one or the other if the Spirit is with me. This, when he thought about it in the Greek, is closely translated, says one Greek scholar, this way, when he threw his thought upon it, feelings were made servant to the word of Christ at this point in Peter's life. All of his feelings had to line up behind what Christ said and the face of Christ, the countenance. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance on you. And that's that countenance that Peter saw. And uh, hating himself for the thing he was not able to be. Oh, we've been there to see what we're not able to be. Yeah, I think I got some mail this morning from a Mega church somewhere. <laughs> Mega churches always make me feel like I'm failing. Why, why do they get all the money? Why do they get to be able to do this and that? What am I doing wrong? And they could, they, you know, they could be, you know, dressed up in hockey suits or something on Sunday mornings, doing everything wrong. Not that hockey's bad. Just you don't want a church of people coming with hockey mask and stuff. But it doesn't matter. We have to face in life who we are. But I have to add this. It's taken me years to understand what I am built for as a Christian and what I'm supposed to be doing. And once I got there, it's so liberating. It's so nice to know this is what I'm supposed to When I was an usher in New York, I knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I loved it. And I love this too. Well, sometimes I don't love it as much. But... Usually to someone else to blame. It's better for me that way. Anyway, he wept. Matthew adds, wept bitterly. 
The Greek, so when the Lord wept at the graveside of Lazarus, we read Jesus wept. But that's a different Greek word for wept there. There it means in the Greek that he shed tears. Here, as when he looked at Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem, it means to burst out in tears, bawling, wailing, heavy crying. You know the one where you need, you just don't have enough tissues. And this is what was happening for Peter. He, he burst into tears. The angel will single out Peter, the extraterrestrial messenger of God, will send by the women, in Mark 16, we'll get to it sometime in the future, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Singling out, singling him out. What you did, Peter, was not unpardonable. We can fix this. It was unpardonable for Judas, because Judas never came back. In 2 Samuel, when the woman of Tekoa came to King David with this elaborate story that Joab had made up to try to get David's banished son out of Moab, where he was in exile, and back to Jerusalem, she says... In her story, for we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up. Yet, God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Well, that's Peter's story there. None of us live for Christ naturally. If you think you can live for Christ naturally, you don't get it. You don't understand what it means to be born. We use the word born again, but the Greek is also born from above. There's a, there's some, there's a spiritual feature to our salvation that is absent from every other salvation. You know, the books like the Koran, for example, there's no prophecy in there. There's, and certainly no, no proofs of what is written there. Whereas you come to the scripture and it's prophecy all over the place. Much of it already fulfilled. And much of it still to be fulfilled and in our own day. Well, I'm almost done. I feel better now. We're not at 28 minutes. Uh, the children's workers would have went, huh? You can't have your kid yet. We've got 20 minutes. I stayed up all night preparing this lesson. Anyway... If you are a valent Christian, it is because you know how to hurt. You have struggled. You have suffered in Jesus' name. And you are. You've learned to pray. You've learned to fill time with prayer. Uh, Jesus, as I mentioned, intending to rebuild this collapsed servant. Luke's gospel, Luke records... When Peter was warned, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And all that happened. His faith failed. It faltered. Judas, by contrast, his faith failed. Christ knew that Peter would recover and was a part of it. And thus we read in the New Testament letters, Paul talking about Christ at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And there he is interceding for Peter. 
You're never suffering alone, you Christians. You are never alone in your suffering. You may think no one understands, no one knows. And there may be some truth to that. I can't speak for everyone. But most of the time, someone else is likely praying for you too because that's how big the Holy Spirit is. Anyway, in Acts and in 1 Peter and throughout church history, those impacted by the life of Peter, we will see that uh, it is a victory in Christ. Uh, Peter fails again. Uh, at uh, Antioch, when when James sends up a hit squad up to Antioch, James, the brother of the Lord, the writer of the epistle to James, he was a he was a problem uh, for 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 Paul. And uh, when James, and it's very clear in, in Galatians chapter two that they came from James to spy out our liberty, and and Paul laments even Barnabas was taken by them. Even Barnabas, it hurt Paul. And my point is, he's, it was Peter at the same time. Peter is going to fail again, but then he'll recover from that too. We don't see Paul failing too much. Um, and he just was a dynamo. So if you are afraid of intellectuals, very smart people, you better thank God for a man like Paul. The Bible is filled with very smart men. Eli Isaiah, you read the prophecies of Isaiah. This guy knew places and geography and language. He was just a sharp cookie. Um, and then we have the fishermen. We have the Apostle John, uh, just a fisherman that wrote uh, like a poet. Anyway, uh, the cleansing tears of Peter. He dies in the end, of course, as, Peter, as Jesus told him he would. Peter, when you're old, they're going to take you to where you don't want to go. And he was talking about his crucifixion, his lion-like courage that is forged by faith. And so, I'm closing now, like all of us, Peter was strong when he could not see the temptation coming, and he was weak when it appeared. I'll get it. I'll, I'll take that. Well, that's, that's for me. I told him I'd be preaching. <laughs> no. Let's pray for our sister, because she feels pretty bad right now. <laughs> oh, Grandma. Uh, well, i close with this verse. Um, <laughs> Jude 24. Now, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. That is the Jesus who rebuilt this collapsed Peter. Let's pray. Our Father, time and time again, you build us up. Time and time again, we either spend the ammunition you give us or we lose it or whatever it is, but you there you are always ready to build us up again. And may we be stronger because we know this. May we be stronger because we know that you are looking to keep us close to you. You're looking to let us know that your forgiveness is ongoing it's not final. As you would go on to forgive those who were crucifying you for that action. So, Lord, we, we learn how merciful you are. If you have been watching online or if you're here in the church and you've not opened your heart to Christ and confessed your sins to him. 
if you've not come to him as the Lord and Savior, maker of heaven and earth. You are lost in your sins because there's no one else can take them away. No one else has been good enough. No one powerful enough except him. You must come to him to be forgiven. And perhaps as you've been hearing the scriptures read this morning, you have sensed the warmth of God calling you, inviting you. If you would like to have your sin dealt with, then come, make this prayer with me. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. There's nowhere else to go. I ask that from this day forward, that you would be the one that not only saves me from the judgment that I deserve for breaking your commandments, but that also you would be the Lord over my life, that I could serve you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning in earnest, may they act upon it, may they not be ashamed, may they be quick to confess you before men all their days. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastors to my left and right, um, they are here. If you have prayer requests or praise reports, you are encouraged. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And uh, that's why we, they, are, they are made themselves available. Let them come to the elders. Uh, God told Jeremiah, don't you go to them. Let them come to you. And it's a, that's the beauty, of, a beauty of the church. So the pastors are here. If you've asked Christ into your heart uh, and you're in the church, don't leave here without sharing that with them. That is a strong encouragement. And if you're online, you're strongly encouraged to call the church and make your confession known. Would you stand, please? Um, too bad I can't remember the announcements. Now would be a good time to, to get the latecomers who missed, <laughs> missed the announcement. As you go out this week, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To Christ our Savior who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And the righteous would say, Amen. Amen.